Hey everybody, welcome to episode 25 of Reiki Me Right, called Unsolicited Healing and Free-Flowing Reiki. I'm Jane Goodsir, your host. This is a two-part podcast, Unsolicited Healing this week and then Free-Flowing Reiki next week. My opinion on this topic isn't overly popular, but it is ethical. It can be hard, right? To constantly self-reflect on life, on your Reiki practice. It's a definite choice and commitment, and I'm speaking from ongoing personal experience here. To me, I think to myself, what's my alternative? And that would be living a life never fully known myself or being who I'm here to be in the world, never experiencing days in the amazing way that I could. And with work now as a shamanic Reiki teacher, it's never been as confident or half as powerful a practitioner as I could be. So I want to begin by saying that at the stage where I was starting to uncover this topic for myself, and before I found my shamanic Reiki teacher whose views largely mirrored mine on this area, I had a lot of thoughts and feels. I felt quite ashamed about some of the ways that I'd been working up until that point. I was hard on myself because I didn't know better. I thought that me having a healing ability was a gift to give others at any time and I was so wrong there. I didn't understand how dangerous that was for me as an Usui Reiki practitioner and then master and for other people. I wasn't fully able to be the hollow bone where... The guides do the healing, guides lead the way, I'm simply the bridge. I knew what hollow bone or clear vessel, if you're Usui Reiki trained, clear vessel might be a term you're more okay with. I knew what that meant, but I wasn't entirely working in that way. And I needed to more fully commit to self-exploration, self-growth. I wasn't aware of what was driving my unconscious thoughts. And I'll come back to the relevance of that because especially in the beginning, I I mean, I had no idea um, of the relevance of that, that there was even relevance of that. There is obviously still loads that I do not know. Ever the student, we're all learning all of the time, but what I do have is a safe, ethical framework and practice as I continue to grow and commit to myself via my own healing, with my own personal and weekly monthly support for that. I didn't have adequate training in this area. And if you're similar, please know that I believe that isn't our fault, but it is, in my opinion, our responsibility to square out. So that we can be safe, confident, ethical, powerful practitioners that if you're like me, you'll want to be. This isn't a call-out or a lesson tinged with judgment. I always say when I know better, I do better, and this podcast aims to give you that opportunity as well, if you want to take me up on that. And I'm never here to tell anybody what to do or how to work, but what I can provide you with is information so that you can land on how you feel about whatever it might be and make shifts that benefit you, if you feel you need to after learning something new. So firstly this week, unsolicited healing. I've touched on this before in one of my very first podcasts. It's an area I'm really passionate about because I've had personal first-hand experience and continue to work with people who are retraining either via my courses or the Shamanic Reiki Pathway where this topic has 
impacted them so badly for such a long time in various different ways. If someone hasn't specifically asked us as Reiki trained people for healing, then I do not believe we should be sending healing. So why do I think that? I'm going to take you through some points for your consideration. Firstly, if you were chatting to somebody on the street, you wouldn't start randomly rubbing their arm if they hadn't asked you to, right? I mean, that would be ridiculous. That would just be silly. That's a scene action. Energy is unseen, but it works in the same way. I don't believe it's okay that you should enter someone else's energetic space without consent. And I'm applying this here solely to Reiki, but I do see this go on elsewhere. Psychics at the ATM queue with a message from a loved one in spirit for somebody else further up the ATM queue. They are how does the person giving the message know that it's not going to add trauma or cause re-traumatisation for the person that they're giving the message to or the people in that person's family? They don't. You just don't know that. Similarly with Reiki, there can be this rhetoric around having a healing gift and a Reiki trained person believing it's their right, their place in the world, their duty to share that with people. I relate a lot to what I'm speaking about here. That can sometimes look like deciding that a friend or family member is having a hard time. So sending them Reiki off your own back. I'm going to come back to that in a later point. I believe that maintaining your own personal energy is top priority as a Reiki trained person of any lineage. And once a practitioner's doing that, they're then able to go on to help support other people with their gift of healing. Always starts with self for me. To explain that a little bit further, giving or sending unsolicited healing will fast deplete personal energy, a person's own vibrant tank. And I'll circle back to that when I come to free-flowing Reiki next week. Because I don't believe generally Usui Reiki teaches, like I do with Shamanic Reiki, how to be the hollow bone, working in sacred space with your Shamanic Guardian Guide, podcasted on that last episode, and then deeper on from that and deeper on from that. So that you as a practitioner can retain your own energy in a healing session and not give it away to a client or not take on the client's energy as your own, as well as being an empowered Reiki trained empath and not a trapped Reiki trained empath like I once was, like I've come to understand many of you now are from chatting to you guys via the podcast and on social media. The link is in the podcast notes below to win a free spot in my upcoming online course for Reiki practitioners. It's worth about £300 where I help you to fix all of that and more if that's really resonating with you. Now, many people have come to learn aren't working in that way that I'm speaking about in a healing session. I was exactly the same back when I was an Usui Reiki practitioner then master, far less out with a healing session. Out with a healing session, you're definitely not working in sacred space as the hollow bone with your shamanic guardian guide, so on, so on, if you're taking it upon yourself to send that unsolicited healing. Whether that be placing your hands on a person you've met in a social setting, that you believe that you can help with Reiki or deciding that a friend's having a challenging time at, so it needs to be sent some Reiki. I've found often those who feel this overwhelming need to share their healing unsolicited 
are placing themselves in the self-imposed position of saviour. This is a large chunk in my paid for pathway, but I'm going to share some of it with you today. If you've not come across the drama triangle and role of saviour before, the drama triangle is a theoretical framework to describe and understand the roles of victim, saviour and persecutor that people assume and perpetuate in relationships, especially in the contexts of drama and conflict. I believe it was developed by a person called Stephen Cartman and is frequently used in psychotherapy. These are roles, archetypes, if you will. Understanding how I put myself in those roles and how I was allowing others to place me in those roles as well completely transformed my vibrancy, zest for life, the way I thought about myself and my place in the world. The amount of energy that I had in, the, in a day, my ability to be the empowered empath as opposed to trap that I was speaking about before. So let me take you through some traits of those playing the role of saviour. They feel brilliant about saving and pouring focus on others, which essentially detracts from looking in the way, focusing in on themselves, their own life, their own stuff. They willingly offer up help, especially if it's to the detriment of their own self. They get a lot of satisfaction from social credit and like it when others use them as the go-to help for all problems. They aren't noble or selfless. They can often be described as this, especially in our society. They'll give you the shirt off their back, you know, that type of chat. They are an enabler. And that was me. I did play other roles in the drama triangle and there are a whole multitude of reasons ranging from upbringing, trauma, significant previous relationships and what the other person brought to the table within those that men most often played that role. But the fact of the matter is that is the archetype that I assumed most often. And on hearing what I've just spoken to you about there for the first time, I thought I identify with that and that's definitely me. And actually for a period of years, I was never away from working on saviour complex because I identified with those traits, but I didn't realise how deep, 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 deep rooted they actually were. Anyway, I'm digressing, pulling it back in. Doing self-exploration, self-growth work will allow a person to understand how and if, and it is very likely in my experience, if you're a female and if you present as you have a good water saviour complex going on, if it's been left unexamined thus far, how and if saviour complex feeds into their need to save or fix or sort others by way of falling back on and using their healing gift. Often people want to be validated for their healing gift. I resonate with that as well way back in the beginning. They want to be told that they're an amazing healer and so on and so on. Again, that's a personal healing area. This is why at the beginning I said a person has to be aware of what's driving their unconscious thoughts or at least aware that they have unconscious thoughts that do drive them. A person might request healing for a family member, friend or a loved one via you as a practitioner. Without the person who's receiving the healing's consent, the same applies for me. 
children and those who um, via illness aren't able to advocate for themselves that's different let me come back to that in a second but I'd always want to know that the person who I'm working with wants this healing there can be a whole host of excuses made as to why it's okay to send unsolicited healing I've made them myself I to this day come across a vast array of various excuses as to why it's all right to send unsolicited healing and I don't believe there is any circumstance in which it's okay to send unsolicited healing personally. It's very normalised on many online Reiki forums, Reiki groups, I notice. And if people are sending unsolicited healing, I'd definitely question how effective that healing is because when working with energy, being safe and ethical impacts the quality of that healing. And I'm going to come back to that next week when I speak about free flow and Reiki. When it comes to children or those who are ill and can't advocate for themselves, there are ways of a, of a practitioner requesting permission from that person to send them healing. Working with shamanic guides means being able to request permission and know if it's a yes to use shamanic Reiki or a no. I asked on my Instagram earlier on this week, people's thoughts about unsolicited healing. And I got a great message. In fact, I got a, a few really great messages from, from followers. I'm going to read this specific one out to you. I asked my three-month-old granddaughter if I could send Reiki to help her tummy. She gave a clear no. I didn't force so I asked her mum if I could Reiki her instead. So just to be clear, this practitioner asked the mum of the baby if the mum would receive Reiki. The mum said yes. Baby's tummy issues quickly resolved. Baby knew she wasn't the source. So asking for consent has a whole other layer to that as well, where actually as a practitioner, you can help more and in the right ways in the right areas by never sending unsolicited healing and requesting permission in this way. The sending healing comments, I feel the same way about those, can be very well meaning but it's not ethical and really not effective in my experience. If you work with energy you will know the power of words of thought of intention, of speaking the words that you truly mean, be impeccable with your your word, Don Miguel Ruiz, The Four Agreements, amazing book, would highly recommend it if you've not already read it. So for me, this send in healing, which by the way, was a term that I once used a lot, it's not okay. Which leads me nicely on to point two. What I notice often, particularly on online Reiki forums, groups that I mentioned before, is requests for healing. And I'm going to come back to this point as well from the perspective of dangers of this for practitioners and clients and also give a method that is safe and effective and ethical between this week's podcast and next week's podcast. So those requests can read like, I'm having a challenging day, send me healing please somebody. I'm feeling bored, can someone send me healing? Challenge and change are a part of human experience. There's no negating them. As humans, particularly humans committed to self-growth, self-exploration, we aren't going to feel tip-top and tickety-boo all of the time. 
Should have said that before so many times. As a side note as well, in boredom, we can learn a lot about ourselves. Brenny Brown speaks on that really well. I'd recommend checking out Brenny, Brown, Brenny Brown's work if you've not done that already. Any Reiki healing session, any lineage isn't going to negate challenge. No healing ever is. It can, however, support a person to grow and heal from the challenge. We really have become, in my experience, a society that deems wellness as feeling good and illness as feeling bad. Now, whilst that there's truth in that, what largely breeds is, as a collective, we don't want to feel uncomfortable. We don't want to feel into pain. We shove away sinking into learn about, learning about ourselves from engaging with our shadow and exploring those unconscious drivers. Because those feel bad and we're trying to attain this feeling good of wellness. Do you see what I'm saying there? I've learned that that comes from two angles. Firstly, wearing masks over the years, pushing away any level of uncomfortability or pain, repressing loads, ignoring what's going on below that surface level. And two, when a person enters into the Reiki world, there can be this really inaccurate portrayal often about self-growth and healing. It's all zen. It's all trying to attain that feeling brilliant every single day, which actually, again, amongst other things, is repressing just from inside the Reiki world as opposed to outside of it. I'm sure I've talked about the Usui Reiki principle before, just for today I will not anger as an example of what I'm talking about in terms of repression and repressing anger specifically. I would use, just for today, anger is the mask behind which real change lies. Here, teaching ourselves to express anger in a healthy way. Can anybody tell me that they grew up knowing what an expression of healthy anger looks like or feels like? I've yet to find someone who can say yes to that. It's important for me to be able to sit with uncomfortability, to be able to sit with pain, to grow in self-awareness, building resilience, honouring capacities. And for me, it's key that a person finds their own footing via any Reiki healing session as opposed to being pushed forward by perhaps well-meaning but misguided unsolicited Reiki because a practitioner's taking it upon themselves to help a person who appears to be having a challenging time or isn't feeling good. And then number three, Operating via giving unsolicited healing, for me, dilutes the value of Reiki in more than one way. If you're like me, you'll identify as being a skilled, qualified professional with a craft that you wholeheartedly are dedicated to, no matter if that is a full-time job, part-time job, hobby, an interest, whatever. Would we expect an accountant to work for free? Would we expect a personal trainer, a shop assistant, a bus driver to work for free? Absolutely not. So why then, if you're a Reiki practitioner, would you not expect to be paid for your service all of the time? 
And I completely get it if it's what I call a homer, like your friend the plumber comes round to help you fix a leaking pipe. In the same way, as you're a practitioner, that's your craft, and you're going to use your skill set for friends and forth, uh, friends and family back and forth for free, undoubtedly. But what I'm honing in on here is much wider and much bigger than that. If you're a Reiki practitioner offering Reiki for free via online Reiki groups and forums to random people as you go about your daily life, then for me it's important to understand what's been fed into there in terms of the dilution of the value of Reiki itself and the dilution of the value of the professional skill of your service and other practitioners service as well. With this example, saviour archetype potentially kicking in there again along the lines of, well, I've got a gift, I want to be able to share it for the good of everyone, I'm in a position to be able to do that. And it definitely feels like a boundary thing too for me. It's up to us as practitioners to set a level, a standard, given that dependent upon where you are in the world, we as an industry can operate without any formal regulatory body with energy healing. That's the case in the UK. I know it's not the case everywhere, like particular areas in the US. Either way, it's down to each individual to set a tone in the same way as it is for those who work in an office. There can be policies and procedures or none at all. Either way, those aren't making any difference whatsoever if the people in the office take no self-accountability and no self-responsibility and setting a standard for the environment in which they continue to be a part of. I recently saw a massage therapist, local to where we are, where we are in Scotland, saw their price list. Our massage, various different types, was nearly a hundred pounds an hour. A Reiki was £25 an hour. I was completely astounded. Perhaps not surprised, but astounded for sure. For the value to be seen in Reiki, irrespective of lineage, the practice itself must be safe, ethical and powerful. If it's not, people will only value it on their price list at £25 an hour. And the client expects what they pay for as well. If I was paying £25 for an hour of Reiki, I mean, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't because to me that's reflective and indicative of the practitioner, their training, the way they work, how much they value their time and skill and experience and service, you know? And number four. I would say I was addicted because addictions, I've spoken about this before, can be physical and emotional. Like I was addicted to helping other people and constantly looking out the way to avoid, I mean, the mess, the absolute mess and the pain of looking in the way at that that point. A person's got to be committed to personal exploration, to self-growth, to truly understand what their driving factor is in helping others. And only the person themselves will know where their want to help other people comes from, from continuing to look at their shadow. In short, 
shadow is the parts of us that we suppress, hide, pretend they don't exist, reject them. It's shadow because it's in darkness, it's not in light. So that means you're not going to see it on the everyday surface of life. And everybody's got shadow. What lives in shadow, if you like, is unique to each of us. And our shadow can present, can manifest in lots of different ways. For example, feeling anxious, resentment, jealousy, just feeling discontented, codependency. And the top one, previously previously for me, being part of and welcoming in lots of drama in your life. Allowing what's in shadow to come into the light can provide huge, huge opportunity. Some of your very best facets can be hidden in amongst what lies in your shadow. In my online support platform, which will be open in 2024 for Reiki practitioners for a small fee, you can be what's called lighthoused. This is something I was introduced to via my shamanic teacher and it works a treat. I use it every day. The lighthouse technique is based on Sandra Ingerman's medicine for the earth work called the lighthouse. It's a way to safely connect with healing energy without putting you or the person that you've put into the lighthouse in any danger. You put the names of the people in the vessel, the lighthouse is the sacred vessel, always with their permission and spend time merging with the lighthouse energy, seeing the people in the lighthouse at their divine best. Maybe laughing, smiling, whatever that means for you. Nothing's sent, nothing's healed. The person in the lighthouse is envisioned at their divine best. That's the basics of the lighthouse. If you're interested in the steps to set up and how to use can email me. You have direct access to my inbox, firehattedlife.co.uk forward slash 25. Hit the purple button. I love hearing from you guys anyway, if you've got share-ins or questions that come off the back of the podcast. But if you want to understand more about the lighthouse, you can message me. So there are ways of helping others that are safe, that are ethical, that are effective. And Number five and six. Let's consider where the want to help by sending healing that's unsolicited to others comes from, from just a tiny bit of a different perspective. I touched on it in in point four. Is it from a well-intentioned place or a harmful-intentioned place? So... I believe it's my job as a human being to contribute change to the world. But that requires a balance and a way of doing that without centering myself, my problems, my stuff in wider situations that actually require critical thinking and contributory action. That comes from me being in a balanced place. Now, when I talk about balance, I don't mean being calm. You can be calm and not regulated, regulated and not calm. I don't mean living a daily life, a picture of zen. What I mean is being intentional and consciously aware. Consciously aware of when I'm dysregulated. Consciously aware of when I'm triggered. Consciously aware of when my bias is driving how I'm acting or feeling or talking or thinking. And being intentional with how I live, 
how I conduct myself, so on, so on, as a result of that. In essence, what I'm talking about here comes from me understanding and working with my own personal energy. I'm going to keep explaining this a wee bit further. We are part of society. We individually make up the norms, the standards for how we collectively treat people. It can be useful here to think about marginalised groups, which often, generally, I've noticed, speaking from uh, personal experience, certainly years ago, and witnessing what goes on around about me, People often, until they're part of a marginalised group or have someone close to them that is part of a marginalised group, don't really think about it at all. So pregnant people, people of colour, disabled people, LGBTQ people. And then wider than that, we're all part of the same world. My want to help others before delving more into my shadow sometimes came from virtue signalling. I'm going to give you a dictionary definition of that. It's the public expression of opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or social conscience or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. I'm going to give you an example of that. This isn't a personal example, but I believe it's one that perhaps many will be able to relate to. It's all fine and well for a person to post a picture of a black square on social media to show that they believe black lives matter to show that they care, like they're giving a hoot. But what's going on behind that in the everyday? What values are they living in accordance with that mean that they are not actively contributing to and actively helping to stop racism? If you want to do some work on values, you can check out episode 14 of the podcast. Do you see where I'm coming from there? For me, in loads of different ways, it was about how it looked to the outside eye. Not doing the right thing because it mirrored my values, but through judgment probably, I was always very aware of how others would perceive me and how I wanted to present. Moreover, how I actually felt on the inside and showing up as a true and authentic version of myself every day, living in accordance with my values. What I'm highlighting is that sending healing at others can come from a well-intentioned or harmful intentioned place. And even when it comes from a well-intentioned place, well, I'm going to come on to that in point six. What is the intention behind the action? In this case, wanting to heal others with Reiki. Where does it come from and Why? when it comes to wanting to send unsolicited healing. And six, because you as a Reiki trained person think that wanting to send unsolicited healing comes from a good or a well-placed intention doesn't mean that the recipient of any unsolicited healing won't think that that's a misplaced intention. As human beings, consent is a big deal. Having autonomy and deciding one's own experiences, making one's own decisions, learning from mistakes, challenges and change. Sending unsolicited healing doesn't allow for that. Essentially, I always think to myself, who am I to decide what I think is best? for anyone else and I'm going to come back to that next week in free flowing Reiki. 
Thanks very much for being here with me again today. If you really enjoy this podcast and this episode, please rate and subscribe. It helps other people to find my work as well. Look forward to connecting with you again next week for episode 26. But until then, take care.